Welcome, friend. Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, Hi. where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and my wife hates listening to me eat. And I'm Jesse, and I'm not on Facebook. Oh, too bad. We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes to chat about a theological topic and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. So what are we talking about today, Conrad? Well, today we're asking, what's the the deal deal with faith? faith? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so today we're asking the question, what's the deal with faith? But before we can answer that question, let's talk about why we're even talking about this. Great. So Christians have this habit of using Christianese, which is basically spiritual sounding words, but without a clear definition or usage of it. And this often gets us into trouble. So the word that appears at the top of the Christianese list is the word faith. Faith. So you'll hear Christ talk about faith, but you'll also hear Protestants, Catholics, Muslims, atheists, Joel Osteen, non-Christians all use the word faith, faith. And a lot of times they use it in a different way. Faith. It's faith time. <laughs> so the problem for Christians with not truly understanding what faith is, is how can we both live in faith and grow in faith when we ourselves can't define what faith actually is? So let's get into it. Let's do some defining. What is the deal with faith? Okay, so before we define faith, let's discuss how most people define faith. So the most common definition of faith is it's a strong belief in something that you can't explain. Okay. Really, this is a blind faith. Like, I can't explain it, but I'm going to believe it anyways. So this is what you hear a lot when you have a TV show or a movie trying to show a religious person in a favorable light. Um, Oh, I can't explain it, but I believe that it has to be true, so that's faith. Right. Well, you know what? That's not real faith. That's just believing in something without evidence or something that we can't explain. Now, this common definition also puts a lot of atheists into a false sense of security because because a phrase you'll hear a lot is, I don't believe in faith, I believe in science. But that's a bogus statement because when people define faith as a blind faith, something that we can't explain, well, there's plenty of stuff atheists can't explain, much less prove, but they believe anyway. Love. Right, exactly. Anything that's non-physical is beyond the scope of science, the scientific method, because to be able to experiment on things... The scientific method says that it has to be observable, testable, repeatable, and falsifiable. You have to be able to run experiments on it. So there is no scientific experiment that you can run to tell us things like what goodness is or what evil is. It also can't tell you what the meaning of life is. In fact, anything philosophical is beyond the scope of science. And there's the most important question anyone can ask, where did we come from and what caused the Big Bang? But since they have no answer, they have to make the biggest blind leap imaginable. They have to believe that something came from nothing. Right. You will not find one peer-reviewed scientific paper that explains how the universe came from nothing. So atheists, too, have to have this blind faith. Yet somehow, we Christians whose worldview can logically explain not only the universe, but its meaning, we're the ones branded with having blind faith. Right. Now, when Christians or pseudo-Christians swap out blind faith with true faith, That's when you get Christians praying for things that are unbiblical or worse yet, selfish, 
So people like Joel Osteen, the prosperity gospel preacher, have even turned this positive thinking blind faith into an industry. Right, because this definition centers on true faith believes in the presence of obstacles. That is, it must only exist where there's no reason to believe in something because you cannot perceive it or have any kind of knowledge base of it. But really, none of that is faith because all that is is just a belief and belief isn't faith. Right. Let's define faith as it would be used in a spiritual way, in a biblical way. So here's an analogy to explain what faith really is. Let's say you have two people in front of you, both with syringes. Okay. And would you put more <laughs> faith? Why, why am I always in weird situations in your examples? <laughs> who would you put more faith in and let them inject you? One, your doctor who has probably injected you a dozen times before, at least. Two, a stranger you just met at Walmart. Or three, <laughs> or three, the guy behind door number three. Okay, so I don't like this at all because I'm not a needle person, but of course I'm going with the doctor who is credentialed and whom I know and can trust. Okay, but using the common but bad definition that faith is just a strong belief in something, which scenario would most people say takes more faith? Well, you, I, I'm presuming what you're saying is you go at door number three because that's the crazy thing to do. It's, it can, right. it's blind trust as opposed to trust based on some kind of discernible characteristic. Right. So you have more faith in the doctor you know and less faith in the person you don't know. So the more you know your doctor has the truth, the more faith you can have in him. And likewise, the more you are sure of something to be true, the more faith you can have in it. Right. So true faith starts with true facts, but there's more. In fact, there's three elements of true biblical faith. You have to, one, know the fact Two, you have to have belief in that fact. And then three, you have to actually act upon that fact. Right. So you have to know that the doctor says he has a cure in the syringe. You have to have the belief that he's, in fact, correct. And then three, you have to allow yourself to be shot in the arm or butt, depending on the shot. (laughs) Can you believe I went to seminary? (laughs) So to make it a little bit serious again. So for any non-Christians listening, when we say that you must have faith in Christ to be saved, we mean that the fact that we're talking about is that Christ is God and Savior. So to be called what we call saved, you would have to have the three elements of one, know that Christ claimed to be God and Savior, two, actually believe that Christ is indeed God and Savior, and then three, receive Christ as your God and Savior. And for Christians, our faith is still based around the fact that Christ is God and Savior, and Christ is the embodiment of God's word. So we can rephrase the three parts of faith to being knowing God's word, believing in slash loving God's word, and obeying God's word. Again, true faith is knowing God's word, then believing in slash loving God's word, and then obeying God's word. And if you're missing any one of these three things, it's not true biblical faith. Right. And that's basically what James 2.19 says. It says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What's the Bible trying to say there? There is something that has to be affected in our heart for us in order to have faith. Right. So it's not true faith if we're missing the middle part, the believing, the loving of God's word. But what if we're missing the third part, the obeying God's word? Now, this is why the Bible says faith without works is dead. James 2.17 says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without the third part, the obedience, isn't faith at all. Right. So if the three elements of faith are knowing God's word, believing God's word, and obeying God's word, 
What would happen to a Christian if you took out the first one knowing God's word? Well, if you don't know what you're believing in, then the whole thing is just a waste, isn't it? Yeah. And then what are you going to replace it with? With yourself, most likely. Exactly. Yeah. The other two things that make even worse is you can replace it with Satan and the world, which are the three right. enemies of the believer. So the most common way Christians excuse themselves from the first element of faith, knowing God's word and knowing scripture, is when they say they're stepping out in faith. So stepping out in faith, it really is just code for doing something unwise when you're trying to sound spiritual. So you'll hear a lot like a Christian say, well, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to quit my job without knowing what I'm going to do next. And I'm just going to trust. I'm going to have faith that God will provide. Or you'll hear you know, Christians corporately do it saying, we're going to build this building even though we don't have the funds. Like You'll hear it all the time. How many, how many churches fail? And you can almost hear those congregations at the beginning saying, oh, we need to step out in faith. I mean, there are times where it's appropriate to take faith-filled risks, but those are ones that are rooted in a firm understanding of Scripture. Not just doing risky things, but mm-hmm. usually faith-filled risks are those that involve a personal sacrifice unto the Lord and to the gospel. And so you can usually discern right away the stuff that's not that. If it's something that you really want to do and you're looking for a reason to spiritualize it, that's not the faith that we're talking about. One of the biggest commands in scripture is basically found in Proverbs a thousand times, which is to seek wisdom. It also says seek instruction, counsel, discernment, and sense. It says it like a thousand times in the Bible, but not just any wisdom, but a God-focused wisdom, a wisdom with the fear of God as its foundation and most importantly, motive. So the term stepping on faith really is just a euphemism for disobeying God's command to seek wisdom. It's not knowing God's word, and that, but still trying to act anyway. So what happens if you take out the second element of God's word? So you know God's word, but you take out the belief, the loving of God's word, but you still obey it. Usually that leads to legalism. Exactly. Because all we've done is given intellectual assent to ideas without our heart being motivated in the right ways for obedience. Exactly. And you've just nailed two of the big words. Thank you. You said our heart being motivated in true ways. So to be acting in true faith you have to have the right heart, the right motive. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Romans 14.23 says the same thing. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, the second element of faith, the belief, the heart, the motive, it matters. So, for instance, in our legal system, when a case is being tried for murder, they're concerned with, What is the motive? What Mm -hmm. caused the homicide? Not just the actual act, but what was the reason behind the act that took place? That matters. Yeah, because it could be involuntary or it could be premeditated or it could be in the Exactly. And that affects what the outcome is going to be. So you could, let's say a non-Christian is feeding a homeless person and you would consider that a good work, right? Sure. Okay, but what is the deeper question here? I suppose you could ask, is what I'm doing even pleasing to God? Exactly. So you could have two people doing the exact same work but one, it's pleasing to God, and one, it's not. And what is the defining factor here that makes it pleasing to God or not? Oh, it's faith. Right. Specifically, the second aspect of faith, which is the motive, the believing in God's word, doing it out of love for his word. So what happens is that people replace acting from a motive for the love of God to acting with a motive of love of self. So people end up acting with the motive, what's going to make me feel good about myself? This is true even when a non-Christian is doing something they think is self-sacrificial, where they put the needs of others before theirs, but the only reason why they do that is because doing something selfless is done to make them feel good about themselves. Right. 
So whenever a non-Christian commits what we would consider a good work, really, that's just proof that God wrote the law of God onto everyone's hearts, like it says in Romans 2. Right. That God gave everyone a sense of right and wrong, and God gave everyone a conscience. Right. But that doesn't mean that just because they are capable of doing a good work, something that a Christian should be doing, doesn't mean that good work is pleasing to God because true faith requires a proper motive. Well, that's the exact disconnect you're talking about, right? Because Mm -hmm. we all have a conscience, but we don't know why. And unless we have knowledge of God and the promises given us and understand why it is that we have this sense of right and wrong, we can do good things, but they mean absolutely nothing. Right. And here's the major point I want to make out of all this stuff. There are often times when it appears that the world has more love than we do. Some of the nicest people I know are not Christians. Like, they have more patience, they have more love, they have more self-control, they have more joy, they complain a lot less than we do, and they don't need other people's sympathy as much, and a lot of, they're just more joyful. So, this really should embarrass us deeply. Sure, you're right. So, if we have the very source of love in our hearts, and we profess to love God, and we profess to have the answers to all of life's problems— then how is it that we know a ton of Christians who seem to whine about everything from traffic to politics to repairs to kids to jobs and uh, and our bosses? So this brings us to our application. So as Christians, our top priority is to grow our faith. And remember, faith is knowing God's word, believing slash loving God's word, and obeying God's word. So there's this major passage that helps us with all this. It's James 1, 2 through 4, and it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So this verse basically says God grows you through spiritual exercises just as a personal trainer grows athletes through physical exercise. Putting muscles under controlled strain makes them stronger. So likewise, putting... Spiritual muscles like love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest of the fruit of the Spirit under strain makes them stronger as well. So at the end of an exhausting workout, an athlete can say, thanks, coach. In the same way, we can say, thanks, God, for the workout. It was tough, but I know and believe that it's to perfect and complete me to be more like Christ so that I could love you and others more. That's what I want. That's why I can be joyful through the trial. So our complaints are proof that we are not counting it all joy, that we are not having faith. So here's our task. Name the top three things that you complain about. They don't even have to be big ones. It could just even be traffic and other drivers. Maybe it's politics, work, repairs, news, family situations. Ask yourself, which fruit of the Spirit is God growing in you in that situation? And pray something along the lines of, God, thank you that you are growing my patience in this traffic jam. God, thank you that you are growing my peace through this unexpected cost or sickness. Or, God, thank you for growing my love through this person who's being really mean to me. So remember, it's not enough to just not complain. You actually have to turn it into thankfulness and joy. And really, it's just as simple as turning that frown upside down. (laughs) (laughs) If you're annoyed, turn it into joy. Wow. (laughs) Turn those trials into smiles. Wow. (laughs) Turn those nays into praise. (laughs) And turn that stank into thanks. (laughs) (laughs) 
Somebody print the bumper stickers. So here's my 15 second Fast God stuff summary. We get upset all the time over big and little things, showing our lack of faith in God. But when we embrace God's plan to grow us like Christ, we are better able to focus on growing all three parts of faith, which leads us to know, believe, and obey God's ultimate command for us, which is to love God and others We nailed that one. That was so coordinated. Okay, so Jesse, what is the deal with faith? So here's how I would define faith. Faith is about knowledge, assent, and trust in God and his promises. Mm -hmm. So it's believing the scriptures in order to lay hold of spiritual things that God has promised and make them real in our lives. And here's the way that I think about it. If the Christian life is a car, then faith, is the gasoline that keeps the car moving. Mm -hmm. But all Christians live in the state of New Jersey because we cannot pump our own gas. (laughs) Faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit. He is the one that fills up the tank for us. So there's this misconception that we've mentioned already that faith is manufacturing something out of nothing. But faith does not create the things we hope for. Instead, it receives from God the blessings that he gives, the real blessings, Mm -hmm. things like forgiveness and being reconciled with God. Those are his promises and faith appropriates them for ourselves. So faith allows you to grab hold of the very real promises. Right. So in the movie, that famous movie, Miracle on 34th Street, one of the characters says of Santa Claus, I believe, I believe it's silly, but I believe That's the exact opposite of what we're talking about. Right, because real faith allows you to grab a hold of something real, something that is true. Right. So the word faith is also used in the scriptures to describe the content of what God has revealed in his word, especially the gospel, the Mm -hmm. good news that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins and reconcile us to God. So that's why in Jude 3, the church is challenged to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to saints. So the faith in view here is not the faith of an individual person, but the content of gospel revelation given to the people of God. So the truth they were to stand for is referred to as the faith. Right. So the faith is the truth. It's the gospel. Right. It's both the thing that we have faith in and it is faith itself. It is the faith, the proper article, the Mm -hmm. gospel message. So let's go to the Bible. It's scripture time. So here's a verse that is often quoted because it so beautifully and succinctly gives us a definition of faith. And it's Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Mm -hmm. And that is, we're describing faith as something objective and it Mm -hmm. displays something. In other words, faith apprehends something that's already real, the promises of God. Exactly. We just can't see them because they're in the spiritual realm but they're no less real. Right. And because God exists out of time and space, God exists in the past, present, and future. So in God's mind, all these promises are already fulfilled. That's how real these promises are. And faith is the link that's given to us by the Holy Spirit that allows us to participate in those promises in the here and now. So that word substance or assurance or confidence, depending on how it's translated, is actually the Greek word hypostasis, which is just fun. Basically, I try to bust that out whenever I can. So 
Hubostasis is actually used elsewhere in the book of Hebrews. So that word is actually used in Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So the words exact imprint is the same Greek word. It's hypostasis that translates as substance. So in other words, Jesus is the substance of God mm-hmm. in the same way faith is the substance of the promises of God. Right. So faith basically is made from the same stuff, the same essence as the promises of God. So faith is that substance that allows us to grab hold of these promises even though they're sometimes difficult for us to understand, like forgiveness, that God would come and send his son to love us. Mm -hmm. And then he would make us right again. He would give us a new heart, take out the heart of stone and replace it with flesh. Who can even really understand that? Right. But faith given by the Holy Spirit allows us to take it as our own. Even as we try to sort through what that means, we know that we can be confident that we are saved and forgiven and redeemed. Hallelujah. Testify. (laughs) (laughs) Turned into a sermon somehow. So for point two of my sermon, (laughs) there's that other word in Hebrews 11.1 that's used to talk about faith, and that is the word evidence. Mm -hmm. So that second word in Greek is alenkos. 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 Also super fun. So that word, though, is clearly objective because it was used as a term for evidence in the legal arena to defend a case. So just like we were talking about okay. motive and that being a part in a trial, yeah. Alenkos is this actual evidence. So we've got faith being something about substance, and now we've got faith being used to describe it to be used as evidence. Faith mm-hmm. is evidence. Right. Like going back to my thing, the good works is evidence of true faith. Right. So what we do in faith is a testimony that one, God is real, and two, that he is who he says he is. And three, that his promises are totally legit mm-hmm. because there's no other reason to behave like this with that motive if those things did not actually exist. Right. So all of God's people, they were witnesses to the promises of God through history. And in that sense, they were true martyrs of the faith because martyr just means witness, mm-hmm. you know, like, can yeah. I get a witness? Amen. So what God surrounds us with in Hebrews 11, that's like the, what we call like the hall of fame of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, all these great names in our tradition, in family, in Christ, Abraham and Noah and Jacob, all these people are being used as examples of witnesses who testify. They provide evidence by faith of the truthfulness of God's word and his ability to fulfill all his promises in history. So if you're hopeful that a chair is sturdy enough to hold your weight, then the evidence, the elenkos, if you will, of your faith is in the act of sitting down. Right. The actual work of sitting down. Right. That's what actually shows that your faith is legitimate, that you sit down. It's like getting the shot from your doctor. You it's actually like have to go through it. shot from your doctor. There's something of risk. And in this case, it's your body or your arm or your butt, whatever's getting the shot. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why Hebrews 11 talks about substance on one hand and evidence on the other. They're two sides of the same coin, but they help us understand this wonderful fullness of what faith is as the Bible defines it. All right. Let's practically try to apply some of this stuff because faith is a little bit tricky. It's sometimes difficult for us to understand. So how can we understand more about our faith and then exercise it by the power of the Holy Spirit? So here's something. First, like you mentioned, Conrad, we have to know the promises of God. Exactly. So here's a good book I'd recommend. It's called Pilgrim Theology by Michael Horton. 
And sometimes theology books are like really dry and they're tomes and they're boring. This one is really good. And it's a way to systematically understand what the Christian faith is all about, especially the promises of God. Mm -hmm. The second thing is something that you mentioned, Conrad, which I love. And that is use our opportunities of inconvenience, discomfort, disappointment, and suffering to exercise faith by trusting in God's promises. Mm -hmm. So for instance, once we know that all things work for good for those who love Jesus Christ. Right. And that's Romans 8.28. Then we know that when we are seriously ill, we can still trust in God providentially that he's taking care of us. There's something for us to learn in that like a good father, he brings us into environments where we can learn and grow more like his perfect son, Jesus Christ. And then in second, until we actually say, I'm going to actually rest in that truth and apply it by being filled with hope and joy and not complaining, then we're also not even exercising that faith. So right. we got to do both. Right. And that's a good promise to have on hand because all things work together for good cover little things and big things. Right. Exactly. And the best way to know God's promises and remember them is to memorize scripture. Exactly. And an awesome application for that for your tablet or online or iOS device is scripture typer. Mm -hmm. It's a way that helps you to memorize scripture that you get to choose and pick. And they actually have these wonderful categories. And one of them is the promises of God. Ah, oh, there it is. So my last challenge is something that actually the apostle Paul gave. And it sounds super extreme. So Christians and Conrad and me, well, Conrad, you're a Christian as well. But oh, great. I'm, I'm, talking, <laughs> I'm talking to us. This is kind of like a family conversation right here. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he's writing to this kind of jacked up church. He calls them saints nonetheless, and he says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are living in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. That's harsh language. Mm -hmm. He's basically saying, you better take some inventory. Think about your motives. If you're doing something, because you want to please yourself or feel less guilty or think that if you read the Bible on this day and honor your spouse and somehow God loves you more or you're in his good graces, he's saying you're not in the faith. Right. That is not faith. And you better test yourself before you wreck yourself. Chickity <laughs> check yourself. <laughs> so this is a good call for us to honestly take some time in a quiet place and ask yourself, why do you do the things you do? Is it because you feel some sense of moral obligation or superiority? Or is it because you can trust wholeheartedly that your salvation is in Jesus Christ and in him alone? That's the difference that Paul's asking us to consider there. Right. And we have to ask ourselves, are we doing things out of love for God? Because John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Are we doing it out of love? So here's the 15 second fast God stuff summary. Summary. So what's the deal with faith? Faith is a reasonable knowledge, assent, and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Faith is a gift from God and a means by which we not only receive the promises of God in Jesus Christ, but also testify to those promises to a watching world. Watching world. Faith time. Faith time. Faith time. Let the Holy Spirit fill up your tank and drive. So here's your chance to sum it all up for us, Conrad. What's the deal with faith? True biblical God-pleasing faith might be summed up best with this question. Are we living our lives in complete faith to God's promises? And this is how real God's promises are. Since God doesn't exist within time and space, in God's mind, 
His promises have already been fulfilled. So when God promises that all things perfect us to be more like Christ, he's already seen it. But for us, we lose sight of the promise of sanctification in the middle of life's annoyances and difficulties. So we end up complaining, we become anxious, and we become upset. So do you want to grow in faith? Then identify three daily situations where your faith is lacking the most. And ask yourself, which Christ-like traits, which fruit of the Spirit do you need to grow in order to be faithful in that situation to be able to count it all joy? And as you grow in faith, the more you will be able to be like Christ, which will help you fulfill your purpose, which is to love God and others more. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Make sure you subscribe and rate the Fast God Stuff podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you like to podcast. Fast God Stuff is a proud member of the Society of Reform Podcasters. And please check out fastgodstuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you turn that stank into thanks. Get that stank out of here! <laughs> Until next time, love God. Love others. That's, that's it! it! Two, three, four... Turn those trials into smiles. If you're annoyed, turn it into joy. Turn those knees into praise. And take that stink, turn it into something. Faith is like getting a shot. No, it's spirit filled my. Give us five shots on iTunes.